This week we're going to be looking at John chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, open to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Got to go backwards to go forwards. And um, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through to 22. 13 through to 22. And I'll just, I'll just read them out. The title in the NASB is The First Passover, Cleansing the Temple. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen, and the sheep and the doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then uh, the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Interesting verse, eh? Powerful verse. And one that you see a side of Jesus that you may or may not be familiar with. You know, we see here Jesus in in the first um, Passover uh, in his ministry goes up to Jerusalem and sees something going down in the temple, the money changers um, dealing and selling, you know, these, these animals. And he actually physically makes a whip, flips over the tables and drives out the people in the temple wonder, is that in your realm of thinking about who Jesus is? You know, we, we can so easily collect with him as, as the lamb, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But actually we see a side of him here that is what may seem on the outset contradictory, but is absolutely aligned to who he is, because he's not just the lamb, he's the lamb and the lion. You might think, where is this Jesus who endorses, you know, um, you know, peacefulness, kindness, gentleness, and actually zeal is as much as a part, and passion is as much a part of his character as as meekness and kindness and gentleness. And so, when we see here in this passage, Jesus entering into the temple and flipping over um, the the money changers' tables. We see here a man who's deeply passionate. The the scripture said a man who's zealous. And he says this, the disciples remember this, zeal for your house will consume me. You see, the explanation is is not that Jesus saw what was going down and was angry, aggravated, frustrated, finally reached the end of his tether and so decided to let loose. No, no. It says this, zeal for your house will consume me. It was an expression not of anger, but of zeal and passion for something that he saw that was so precious and so important that he wasn't prepared to let slide what was going on. You see, 
God had even ordained that these sacrifices be made in the temple. It wasn't man's idea, it was God's idea. But the sacrifices that were being offered were being offered from something that, was farly, that, that wasn't divine. It was from an operating system that kept up outward appearance but was ultimately self-serving and self-focused. And Jesus had to get to the root and the heart of what was going on. And, and in other scriptures, you know, we see here the disciples that say, say zeal for your house will consume me. You know, in, in some of the other scriptures, um, Jesus, when he flips over the tables, he says, my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. My house, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. It's not to be a religious institution that's about making money. It's not about having a platform for selfish expression. It's not about self at all. It's about my father and my father being glorified on the earth. Jesus said, I'm, I'm about raising up this people, this household of God, this people of prayer. And I'm so extremely zealous for what my father's doing on the earth that I'm not prepared to let this thing carry on because he knew that there was something so much more at stake than just a religious gathering that served man's interests. He wasn't living for man's interests like we heard last week. He was living for the glory of his father. And so we see this physical demonstration in a physical temple. But the question that I have is, who is the modern day temple? Is it the mosque that we see on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? Who is the modern day temple? We are. The churches. And so here we see a physical demonstration of something that is absolutely prophetic and so much deeper than just a physical temple with physical sacrifices. You see, Jesus here was making a demonstration, but that demonstration wasn't supposed to be just on the outside. It was actually supposed to perform a work within us. That we now as the temple of God, when confronted by the reality of what it is that God's wanting to do, make us into this people of prayer, this house of prayer. Maybe Christ needs to come in and flip over the temple or flip over the tables that are in our hearts so that he can build us into the people that he's predestined us to become. Hey? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. What does it mean for him to overturn the, the tables of our hearts and for us to become this house of prayer um, that he's called us to be. Is that cool? All right. So we've got the dream team on again tonight, <laughs> as always. <laughs> and I've got a few key questions for us to, um, to unpack this evening. And like I said, these questions are just to get us started, but we want to hear from, from everyone else as well. So Chris, I, I wonder if you want to kick us off, mate. I just put here to get us started. So why did Jesus overturn the tables in the temple? What, what was going on here? I mean, when you look at it, I mean, this was a huge success. Passover was very commercialized. It was the hustle and bustle. You had crowds coming in. Money was changing hands. There was all sorts of activity going on. And, you know, Easter's very similar to that, isn't it? Very commercialized, very, you know, doing. And what's the wrong with making a bit of money on the side? I mean, it's all in God's name. Surely it must be good. But Jesus sees it 
and he sees man's interpretation gone wonky. And that's what happens when man tries to interpret what God has ordained and changed, and they will do it for their own self-interest. And, of course, they, they were making lots of money. They were doing lots of things. And remember, this is the, apostle, sorry, the, the disciples' first time with Jesus when they go into the temple. You can imagine what they felt. They didn't really understand at the beginning. I'm sure when they saw Jesus overturning the tables, they're thinking, well, what are you doing? You know. But it's, look at the picture that Jesus knew. See, he had insight and he had um, foreknowledge of what it was designed to be. And when you lose sight of that, you create your own thing. And look in Isaiah 56, verse 7, it says, A house for all nations, even those I will bring, so it's very prophetic, to my holy mountains, and will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Do you have a lot of joy when you pray? When you come together to pray? Joyful in my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices I will accept on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. And then, of course, Jeremiah later on says, His, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. So here's the two pictures, one that uh, is describing what the house of God is and one that it became. And so there's a huge difference. And Jesus has to interrupt the whole system and the whole pattern because here is the Passover lamb walking in their midst and they'd lost sight of what the Passover lamb was all about. It became a religious thing where you all came to Jerusalem and you ticked the box. It had no real significance. I'm sure it did for some, but the heart of it was missing. And Jesus goes in there. He wants to clean it out. He wants it back to the way that his father designed it and functioned it to be. That's awesome, eh? And I think when, when you think about, you know, you know, Jesus wanting the physical temple back to the way that, you know, it was supposed to be, and thinking about that as a prophetic picture, you know, is that he he's looking to restore us and the you know the you know this house of prayer isn't just a building that we would come to. He's looking for houses of prayer that actually when the houses of prayer come into a building, there's an explosion then of praise because it's not just something that you do, it's who would become, hey, you know. You've got the external and you've got the internal. And the external was all that activity that was going on, and it was missing the mark. Internally, it was dry as a desert. It was empty. It was parched. I think it's scary as, as in verse um, 16, you know, it says, stop making my father's house a place of business. <laughs> you know, and so often that's what we want to do. You know, we see this as an opportunity to actually have a business and you know and and benefit from others as well which they were trying to do you know and so in selling the offerings uh well what was going to be offered up as a sacrifice let's make some coin you know and the modern day version of that can be all the resources that we pump out you know and then now uh, we say oh if you want that it's 29.95 and it cost me two dollars to make it but anyway you know and um and this reality that 
you know, freely you've received, freely you shall give. And so how can I charge people for things that's not even mine? You know, and that's what they're doing. It's like they're taking what's free and actually using it to earn. And, you know, it says um, not to preach the gospel for sordid gain, you know, and there are people that do that as well. And that's as it was then, it is now, you know. Um, and this is the challenge, isn't it, that we don't actually take it and, and if God himself still living, he'll work a way in which he can actually earn and benefit from this thing that's supposed to be free. Yeah, that's massive, eh? And I think God's not against making money, right? You know, and he's not against business. He's not against providing for your family. It's just saying, you know, don't make this, don't, don't make this thing that was freely given a means of your own self-gain, eh? You know, and that there's nothing even wrong with earning a living from, or, you know, it says that there's there's people who actually genuinely earn a living from the, you know, from preaching the gospel, it is not about that at all. It's about the, you know, making, you know, everything revolving around you and a profit to yourself from something that he's given and supposed to be ministered freely, eh? you know. Yeah, it's just where the challenge is where we, you know, we, the world enters in because the world's in our hearts. And so we see it as an opportunity to, to um, benefit us and that's not the place this is. You know, you've got to be able to separate. So, yeah, sure, you're in business. Business is business. And business happens in the business world. And so you don't bring that in here. You know, and that's what makes it tricky, you know, because people want to promote stuff. They want to put their flyers up. They want to use their business cards. And, you know, I have people all the time, the world, wanting to utilise business inside the house because they know that the churches have full of people, you know. And then it's like, no, that's not how we roll. But then when the church try to do it, you know, and this is this thing. So business is business. God is God. And sure, God's into business, but let's not confuse the two. That's what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. is you can't take what's of God's and then try to work it for your own angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. That's right. No, that's cool. All right. I reckon let's, let's jump onto the, the media questions, eh? So I've got here, the modern day temple is not a building, but the church. If we are the temple of God, what is it that needs to be overturned in us? Read that again. The modern day temple is not a building, but the church. If we are the temple of God, what is it that needs to be overturned in us? Chris? It's... it's (laughs) We've all have junk in our in our hearts, in our temples that has to be cleaned out. See, Jesus is not a tag on to come in over the top and try and build something. When when you build, uh, when you do renovations, you don't simply build over stuff. You have to clear it out so that the foundation is strong. And if if we don't allow him to overturn those tables, it can become a compromise. It can become it can't function the way it was designed to function. And um, we've got to be careful that we just don't do that. I mean, there's so many things. I've, I've been looking back at what God had to do in my heart to overturn tables. He had to get my attention because of the pride that was in my heart. I thought I knew a lot of stuff. I had a lot of intellectual knowledge. That table had to be overturned. 
intimacy, int- you know, that coming to know him rather than function, fellowship rather than function. That function table had to be overturned because suddenly it's getting in the way of fellowship. And if you go through all the stuff that we've heard over the last 11 years, it's been a real challenge because my table, I was just like the money changers sitting at the table. It looked like it was in order. It looked like there was a bit of, sure, a bit of chaos around here, but it looked like it was in order. But it took somebody of a greater of, of greater worth to actually love me enough to overturn those tables. And suddenly you feel uprooted, you feel like there's a mess all over the place, and, and everything that was of worth to you is suddenly being spilt on the ground. Oh, there's the coins running around the place. What's your, when you see coins running on the ground, what do you want to do? <laughs> you you, you want to go after the things that have grabbed your heart, but God is wanting you to let those things go. Um, sorry, it's okay if I can give you an example of um, something that God showed me was Nehemiah is, is just an amazing thing. He goes, as you know, to Jerusalem. He gets everything back in order and the temple's functioning the way it is. And then he goes away back to the king for a period of time. Now, what happens when the man of God is not around? Where do you default to? What do you slip back to? That's another question for another time. But anyway, while he's away, one of the priests actually goes and gives the large, one of the large rooms in the temple to Tobiah. Now, Tobiah is a person, is an Arab, and this priest is related to him by a marriage covenant. Can you see the connection? A marriage covenant. What's our hearts designed for? A marriage covenant. But anyway, he gives this room. What do you think? Oh, it's only one room. What's all the fuss about? But look at the things that this room was provided, was given for. It was for the grain offerings. When you think about it, seed. It was for frankincense. It's about death and surrender. You, the utensils, the things that were consecrated and set apart for God only. It was about the tithes, the worship and the giving. You'll notice that when people's hearts grow cold, one of the first things that go is giving. Then there's, there was wine, which speaks of revelation. Oil, which speaks about the Holy Spirit and the anointing. And the effects was that while this guy was in that room and those things couldn't get in, couldn't be distributed the way it was meant to, you had a lot of other priests that were frustrated, angry, and they ended up leaving. And it caused division. When Nehemiah gets back, he gets so angry that he picks everything up, he cleanses, throws everything out of the room and throws Tobiah out and he cleanses the place and then makes it function again. And the body was able to function as it was. And that's the same thing with our heart. I mean, Tobiah, he was a guy that opposed the works of God. He mocked the works of God. You know, so he was actually standing in opposite. He may have been a relative. He may have even had some nice qualities here and there. But ultimately, and if you think of spiritually, the things that taint us are often those things that we sometimes think are pretty good. And yet Jesus wanted to go clean it out and do it. And, and of course, Nehemiah was pretty aggressive, just like Jesus was. But it created, he went back to what it was purposely designed for. Yeah. 
I mean, when I, when I read the passage that we've just looked at in John 2, I see hearts. So what you're looking at is those hearts of the, the Jewish people being expressed. And so out of the heart, out of your heart, will come your life. So you'll be demonstrating what's in your heart. And that's the real challenge. Because your life will be telling you what's in you. you know? So if you're selfish, your life will tell you you're selfish. So it says, in the last days we will have difficult times. Why? Because people will be lovers of themselves. So we have to ask ourselves, is my life a sign of the times? So if I'm selfish, then my life is a sign of the time I'm in. Yeah? And so out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, a person lives. This is why he's got to go for your heart. But we'd rather offer him sacrifices. So we'd rather play the music and we'd rather just do children's church. We'd rather just do activity and say that's as far as you go. But Jesus clearly says, I don't want your sacrifices. See, not only these sacrifices, I don't want your works until I have your heart. It's futile to me. I don't need your works. I want your heart. But see, we resist the heart and we want to do works. Why? Because the heart's the wellspring of life. And we may not want him to see what lives in our heart, which is still us, possibly. And we want to be God of our own lives. So if he comes after that, that means someone's got to die. And it ain't him. And see, the only reason we have idols is because we're still living. So an idol is an expression of the God of self. So if you find yourself loving someone more than God as an idol, it's because you're still living. And so to bypass that, we just do nice things for God. But God's like saying, you go read Psalm 51. It's all there. You go read Matthew 9.13. I don't want, what does he say? You can take your lovely things and you can park them. What do I want from you? Compassion. Why? Because I want you to love people. But you can't love people if you don't know me. And you can't love people if you're still living. But you can do works, but I'm not interested in that. I want your compassion. I want your heart. I want all of your heart. Why? So you can actually live. And so... Our lives are just an expression of our hearts. And that's why it's so challenging and confronting, and that's why God is going after the God of self in this house right now. Because until we deal with that, we can't live. We can do a whole lot of stuff, but we can't actually live the eternal life we're called for because the God of self still reigns. And he will not live for God. He will live for himself. He will add God on, and he will... Like these guys, he will manipulate things for his own benefit and good and smile while he does it. And it's interesting that Jesus was going after the God of self in the temple. You know what I mean? He wasn't going after the God of self out there in the marketplace. You know, he came into the temple in the household of God and and that's where he overturned the tables, eh? You know? And I think to me that's, you know, it's so easy to think that the overturning needs to be done out there or in someone else. But actually, it's the times that you see his greatest passion and fervor and zeal is either in the temple or going after the religious spirit of religious people, right? You know, And I think um, 
to me that that's where the the rubber hits the road is that he's he, he's come to cleanse firstly the household of God. It says judgment starts in the house of God, eh? You know, and so if if, if judgment starts in the house of God, it's it's us. He's looking to overturn the tables and us that we might be this house of prayer, eh? Those people who demonstrate and radiate him. What is it? The city on a hill, the temple that actually, you know, radiates the glory of who he is in the earth. So he's looking for us, number one. And then from that place, yes, he'll absolutely seek and save the lost and draw people and save people and heal and restore and all that sort of thing. But you, you see his... You know, it's zeal for his house will consume him, eh? You know, and it's the, the one big thing, you know, is when the heart is actually functioning right and the desires of God are in your heart, one of the first things is love, but also to the desire to pray. And that's one of the biggest things that uh, we find is, is really hard because people struggle to pray. So, you know, I don't know what you, whether you know that uh, sometimes you can have a heart defect or you can have a, a heart uh, that's uh, got a few um, blocked vessels or, or uh, leaking things. And sometimes you can live with that without even knowing. But your heart's not able to function properly. And it's the same with our spiritual things, our spiritual heart. We, sometimes we don't even know that we're functioning on half, you know, and there's a condition there that needs to be fixed. And it has to, because the desire to love him, the desire to be with him, the desire to pray is not a burden. It becomes a passion. It becomes a zeal because it's there. there. It's like the commandments. It says the great commandments are not burdensome. So if they're burdensome, then there's a problem because the word of God, God himself says they're not. And this is this challenge, isn't it? It's like... You're confronted with your true reality. You know, it's like the apostolic Jesus Christ comes to earth and then confronts his own people. So he comes for the lost tribe of Israel. He doesn't come for the Gentile first, he comes for his own people. He comes for Jews. And so he goes to his father's house expecting to see his father's house. But he sees something completely different. <laughs> Because it's man's been building in the name of, and they're so far off, it's not funny. So what you're seeing is his aggression, which is righteous anger, because of what his own people had done to his father's house. You know, it was like with his mum and dad, you know, when he's in his father's house, and they turn up after three days, and they're pretty upset with him. He's like, well, where do you think I was going to be? Like, why are you giving me a hard time? I'm honouring my father. Because they're so out of alignment and don't know who he is, even though they've been told he's the saviour and they've had prophetic words over his life. But when that prophecy starts to live out, that's when their flesh rises. So when he gets told he's eight years old, they're all excited. Our boy's going to be the saviour of the world. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then he's 12 and he starts living out this prophetic word. Now he's not so hallelujah. Now it's like, oh, what are you doing? And this always happens because the heart's getting exposed. So what's in their heart is manifesting and getting exposed because that's what it said. It just Simeon said, this boy will test what's even in your own heart, Mary. And it's happening, see? Now what's Mary's response supposed to be? It's not to continue on giving Jesus a hard time. It's to be on her face repenting 
of the reality of what's manifesting out of her own heart. So the heart is the wellspring of life or the wellspring of death. What's in your heart will come out of it, but it's for the purpose of repentance to then get his life in you. But if you refuse, reject, deny that, and deny the power like the people did in 2 Timothy, then you'll stay the same. And so your entire life will be forms of godliness, but not godliness. Your entire life will be justified, but you have not entered into the life because you rejected him coming and trying to breathe life into your heart. Like, it's suicide. It's spiritual suicide. But the problem is we don't realize we even do it half the time. I watch people do it. I've watched people do it over 11 years. Commit spiritual suicide. Walk away from what God has. Because we don't understand what he's doing. But he's coming after the heart. He's always come after the heart. The heart is wicked. Who can know it? So he's got to come and deal and give you a brand new heart. There needs to be massive heart surgery. But when you don't even know your own heart because you think you're good, but he says no one's good, but I'm good. No, he says no one's good, Chris. Where are you getting your good from? Oh, you. So you're unaware of your own condition. And this is why you can never judge yourself by your do- yourself. If you do, you're a fool. That's why I've been saying, go ask people where you're really at. Ask him and other people. You can, you can actually ask him and you'll, you know, oh, he didn't tell me. <laughs> ask someone who you trust with flesh and blood. What do you really see? And then allow that truth to pierce because it's where life is. And when you ask, don't end up like these guys who say, oh, so what authority do you have in my life to speak to me in that way? <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know, like we live in, we live in such a, a PC individualistic culture that who are you to step into my world and to tell me that the way that I'm living is wrong? I serve, I do this, I do that. And, and so Jesus, he doesn't actually ask to come into the temple and to t- he just, this is my father's house, you know? And so in, in the same way that, you know, as the household of God, we have to know who we are to one another and to be able to actually allow others in, to be able to ex- help the tables be overturned without, re- without inviting and then rejecting, oh, that actually that's too close, you know what I mean? And we have to get involved into each other's worlds and be able to allow one another to have that kind of authority <laughs> in us. You know? I'm going to go right for the jugular. If you have an issue with authority, you would want to check that out with the Lord. So if you've got an issue and authority in your life, I mean healthy authority, I'm not talking about someone who's over you trying to manipulate you. If you have an issue with authority, you have an issue of the heart. Okay. And sorry, can I just say one thing on that? You know, it, it, you know, it says that one of the specific signs of the of the last of the last days is that men will hate authority. Hey, you know, interesting. Hey, and, and so it is. It's one of the the greatest telltale signs of self still living because you are unable to actually even accept or receive instruction which essentially means that you don't you don't want to grow do you, you see what i'm saying you know well, it means you're a law unto yourself okay which means there's no honor so how can there be honor in god's house if we don't honor his what he's put in place 
So if we're outside of that, that's why he says, unless you honour, but it says the prophet has no honour where? Right here in this cafe. See, and it goes both ways, okay, because it's like there's an honouring of what's on. So then there's a coming under, because it says, how can you receive what's on unless you honour what's on the one who's bringing something? You reject it. And so we even need to know what true honour is, because there's a false honour. You know, calling me Pastor Greg, okay, and then not actually living under the authority on me is false. You know, oh, pastor this. I'm not your pastor. You don't listen to anything I say. You don't do what I encourage you to do. You live for you. Don't call me that. That's, that's, that's rubbish, you know. And that, but that's what we do, eh? You know, oh, yeah, I got the pastor. It's just all rubbish. Why? Because the heart's full of gunk. And so he wants to come and circumcise the heart. And that's how God changes us, isn't it? But he can only circumcise a willing heart. So what is true worship, guys? What for? No, I'd rather just sing a song. Have an emotional feel-good factor. That's okay, but that's not what worship is. It's the laying down of your life, which starts where? The heart. The heart is the hub of who you are. It's the control system. It's the epicenter. It's where understanding is. Now, we know we all start with a gunked up, broken, evil heart from our youth. So that's got to get dealt to. And it doesn't just get dealt to because you pray a prayer, come into my life, Jesus. He's got to come into your house and he's got to grab hold of that heart and spin it and turn it up and then go to work on it. That's what Jesus says. Why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? Because the true expression of lordship is not the articulation, it's the demonstration, eh? You know, and so there there has to be an actual outworking in your life. You'll you'll know whether you're under authority, not by the way that you can recognize whether someone has a particular gift or has a particular role, but whether actually your the way that you live aligns to, you know that kind of instruction. So, sorry, Chris, you've been cut no, no, off no, about five right. times, mate. No, no, that's okay. Um, you know, it says in the last days that the hearts of many will grow cold. Why is that? You have to think about these things too. But also, um, one of the other things too is, do you understand the one of the functions or one of the roles of an apostle is to uproot, to uproot that which is not of him? For the pure thing that it can be relayed. Apostles are foundational layers. And that's part of their function. So, you know, when we say, well, who are you to speak into my life? Actually, we've got to listen. Why are they saying that? And take it before the Lord and actually say, well, what are you revealing and showing me? Because how often are we so blind about our own condition that we can't see? Yet others can see it. You know, that's why we can go to somebody else and have a big plank in our own eye and say, oh, you need to change, and yet we can't see the plank in our own eye. You know what I mean? So we need, when those downloads from God come, they're coming for a specific purpose. Are our hearts able to receive it so that we are able to be in a position where we can repent and change?
or are our hearts hardened or cold? You know, this is, this is life-changing stuff. But if we can't receive the gift that's on a person's life, we will never receive it at all. And so whether it's a teacher, a prophet, or a pastor, or whatever, whatever's on the, the gifting on that person's life, what are they speaking into your heart and life? And it was like what Greg read out just before we um, you know, started here. You know, they say to him, by what authority are you doing and, and saying these things? You know, and I think that is it's just like, by, by what authority? Um, I just happen to be God in the flesh, you know? It's like, there's, and so our ability to perceive actual genuine authority is so vital way, eh? you know, to be able to respond and, and live, you know? I mean, last Sunday was very, very powerful. In fact, you go right back uh, for many of the, the messages that have been given out. Did you capture the download? Did you hear it? I, was, I wasn't well, but I was sitting at home listening to the service, and boy, it was like the words were hitting me. You know, there was something really, really powerful about what was going out there. The question is, was that just a, an event, a one-off thing, or is it something that you have taken on board and are praying through and listening over and over and over again to actually what's it doing in here? Or is it something that's just going to pass us by and it's just another Sunday service that tickled us there. But God doesn't want to tickle us. He actually wants to change us and transform us and bring us into that life and the freedom. Why? Because he sees everything that he has for us. But do we want it? So these are really challenging times. And boy, it was, a, it was an incredible download last week. It was the, the saddest thing was when they cut the feet off. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but it was powerful. I could feel it hitting me. So let's not make it an event. Let's make it a lifestyle. Let's make it growing in us. Yeah. But I encourage us to, like, um, <clears throat> who was here this morning? Okay. And I hope this doesn't embarrass Jackie, but who heard what Jackie prayed? Like, if I asked you to come up and repeat what Jackie prayed, could you? Because it's not just, see, as a family, we need to be hearing what's going on, not just like, oh, that's Jackie praying and that's about Jackie and God, not me. No. So I'm hearing a cry of someone going, I really want to get free of me because I've had to learn how to protect me. And then every time I want to put the wall down, someone maybe comes and hurts me, so I put the wall back up, and I heard a cry of this, I want to be free of my independence, which is such a stronghold in humanity, isn't it? An independent spirit, which doesn't want any authority over itself. Like, I want to be God, okay? So it's in all of us. How many of you have children? Right. So you know what I'm talking about. The child... Is easy to manage at a certain age because you're bigger than them. Yeah? And then they start to grow. And all of a sudden, they might be physically actually bigger than you or they're growing and there's nature that's in them. Don't tell me what to do. I'm doing what I want to do. Well, it's, it's in everywhere. And now all of a sudden, we want to be authority over those children. Correct? We want them to listen to us, but we don't actually come under authority of anybody else. 
So it's called hypocrisy, isn't it? So we want authority, but we don't want to come under authority. We want other people to come under us, but we don't want to come under them, which is an issue, especially in the body of Christ, where authority is a major, major issue for God. You know, he said, you're a man who has faith. You see the authority on me and you place yourself under me and bang, your servant's healed. So you need faith to see, otherwise you can't live this. But there's this thing in us. And this is a major heart issue in the body of Christ that needs to be severed and dealt to. Otherwise, we can never become, it doesn't matter. People say to me, oh, I'm under the authority of God. But I'm not under the authority of man. Then you're not under the authority of God. See, everything starts with God. You can't be in fellowship with your brother or sister if you're not in fellowship with God. It's not possible. Okay? And this is the thing. We love to say, oh, I'm under authority, I'm under authority, but we're not. We are like wild individuals running around doing our own thing, but we will do a bit on the side to look like we're part of something, but we're not actually really part of it at all. We're just doing our own thing based on our own conditions because I don't want anyone over me. I want to be Lord of my own life. And this is what man has done forever and will continue to do because he wants to be his own version of God so he doesn't answer to anybody. Now, we're comfortable with that outside of the church. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's why they've created their own faith system and that's why because nobody wants to face a God that's going to be a righteous God and a wrathful God so we create God in our own image. That's what it's called because I want to maintain my own life. But that comes into the body of Christ. We're no different to the world. So we're not really the body of Christ. We're just a fake version of it, covered by blood, but that's about it. We're not living any different to the one who's got his own version of God. We're exactly the same. So he goes after the jugular, and it's in the heart, because it's a key thing. Now, the challenge is, because we're independent spirits, people have abused the church, because they're no different to the one that doesn't want to come under authority. So it is the leader that doesn't want to be under authority at all, but he wants everyone else to be under authority, and they abuse you with their authority. That doesn't mean you throw out authority, because you may as well throw Christ out as well, because it's not Christ that's the issue, it's the person. But that's what we do. We throw the baby out with the bathwater, and we go, no, because I got hurt by authority. Well, then you just sabotage your own life at the same time. Because you have to come under authority that God has placed. And what's crazy is it says goes really well for you if you do. Now, if you're under God's authority, you can actually put yourself under man's authority, even if he's dodgy. Do you hear that? If you're under God's authority, you can put yourself under man who's dodgy, because you're not really under man, you're under God. And you're not entrusting your heart to man, you've entrusted it to God. So the man can't even hurt you because he doesn't have you. That was last week, wasn't it? But if you're not, well, then you're a sitting duck. Because you're at the whim of the one you're placing under and they can ruin you. And that's what you see in the body. Because we actually don't want to come into the fullness of the reality in our own hearts and we reject it. But we'll do works for God and hope it'll all fix itself. But it never does. It's massive, guys. This thing of authority is massive, and we fight it, so we have to die because we'll never become the body that he calls us to be, you know, if we all want to be chiefs and no one wants to be Indians. And yet true leadership will serve. So true leadership will come at the bottom, will be the scum of the earth, 
People will walk all over them like it says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 and will lift up and elevate. They will lay their lives down. So then you can trust that leadership and that authority because it's for you. It's not tearing you down. It's building you up. But initially, it may look like it's tearing you down because it needs to. But it's your flesh, not the spirit. And that's what Paul said. With his authority, he came to build you up, not tear us down. But that's where the wrestle all is. He didn't say, I've come to establish my club on the earth. He said, I've come to establish my kingdom, you know. And a kingdom is, yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, to me, the difference between a club and a kingdom is that one has no authority and the other has authority, you know. And so to me, if we're truly, genuinely entering into this kingdom life, the expression of that is being able to come under and appreciate and honour and value and receive from authority, eh, you know? Because a kingdom needs subjects. It need, otherwise, it's not a kingdom, you know? And so, to me, the question is, well, what, what have you become part of? You know, are you part of the kingdom or are you part of, of the club, you know? So. And what you need to know is, so, do you believe God's for you? Okay, so then you have to believe we're for one another. See, if you don't actually genuinely believe that we're for one another, you'll never receive. Because your viewpoint will be skew-wiffy. But if you actually genuinely 100% believe that we're for one another, then you'll receive what the person brings. Because they're for you, they're not trying to hurt you. Okay, so if, I, if Sam has a word for me, Sam can see something in my life that I can't see. I know this guy's for me. So I know he's not bringing something to hurt me, make me feel stink, condemn me. He's here to help me. But if I don't believe that, then I'll actually reject. My first, my very first response to what he brings will be, who do you think you are? It'll be negative. It'll be right up. The wall will go, Foom, nah. And you've just written off because I don't believe he's for me. But if I genuinely believe he's for me, he's trying to help me, then why wouldn't I? So once again, we have to check our responses. Because your responses is telling you what's in you. It's so clear, but we don't like it. But it's so obvious. Like, it's real simple. What's in you comes out of you. And you have to go, what's my first response? Like, why is the wall come up? Why is that the first response? Well, it's telling you something about what's there. Okay. And, um, I don't know, when we're getting onto this, eh? It's like... <laughs> I just wanted to clarify as well, you know, I feel like this is a two-part thing of what we looked at last week and, and then what we're talking about tonight. And I think Greg touched on it just briefly, that you know, when, when you don't entrust yourself to people and someone who is an authority falls or treats you the wrong way, you need to be able to learn and receive and be humble and teachable and come under authority, but not have entrusted your heart to authority so that if something does go down, you don't go down with it. And see, do you see how that's, they're not mutually exclusive, they're one position, you know? It's like you're, you're free from people, but actually you are able to learn and submit a line and receive from them, you know? It has to be both of those two things, you know? But your first place position is that you always think and expect the best. It's just if someone else doesn't play their, their role well, you're not taken down with them, eh? So. 
Oh, I just whenever we start talking about authority, it always comes just that that little sidekick. And I think remember, um, Jackie said this once, uh, which was really good. That you know we're not talking about if you're in an abusive relationship and someone is beating the jeebies out of you, you've got to stay and come under the authority. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking spiritually, okay? And we're talking in the kingdom, okay? And so it's like as Sam says, it should be two way, okay? So it's like it's like the design, okay? This is the challenge. It's like. If both people are seeing, then it works really well. You know, a husband will love his wife if he's a man who has died to himself. Okay? So if a man has died to himself and is in Christ, he will love his wife like Christ loves her because he can. Okay? Now, if a wife is in Christ and has died to herself, she would submit because it works. Like the design is perfect. It actually works. And then you get this couple that are becoming one. And they grow in that oneness. They're a powerhouse couple because that's the design. Because both have died, have been born of power, and are living in the pattern. When it gets messed up is where both people haven't died. Okay? And we're trying to apply this, well, you're supposed to love me. Well, you're supposed to submit to me. And it becomes this holy wrestle. Well, it's a flesh wrestle, actually. It's not holy at all. And so we end up going at each other. It's flesh rips off flesh, and everyone needs their pound of flesh to feel good about themselves. It doesn't work. There's hope if one person has died and has been infused with power, has no living for self, because that person can love the other person that can't actually apply the pattern. So there's hope. And the hope is that as that one person loves, the other person realises they're being loved and repents and then finds and dies to self and then gets born of power. And there you've got sight and sight. So this whole thing is built on authority. The entire kingdom is built on submission, surrender to the highest power, Jesus Christ. And as I do that, I now come under authority, then I can have authority over others. But if I am not under authority, a man under authority, I have no right to have authority over anybody else. I'm no different to them. I'm resisting it. Well, I want authority over anybody, but I don't want to be under authority. That's hypocrisy. And so if you are under authority, okay, and you've gone through that whole process of death to the God of self and rebirth and raised up, the natural expression is to place yourself under authority. Like it's innate because it's a covering and you know it's a covering. Like I placed myself under my mum and dad's covering because it was good for me too. I knew it was. It wasn't like, oh, I need to put it under my authority. You know what I mean? It's like that works. That's healthy. But that's not your initial response because you fight it, don't you? Until you die and you realise actually I get in trouble out of authority because I try and do my own thing. But that's our challenge. And that's what he's doing here. And that's what the last two weeks have been about. Because until we get this raw and real, nothing's happening. Like nothing's happening here. But we've got forms of godliness. We have great meetings. But it's not about great meetings. It's about living an eternal life. And coming and then this whole thing. The challenge is you can have a whole lot of people that look the same, but they're completely two different kinds. You know, And so for one who is, and for one it's not, they have to live a different way. You know, and one's flying in a reality and the other one thinks they are but they're not. This is our challenge, you know? Because you can't take you with you if you want to live this life. And the biggest hoodwink is when you think you're in something that you're not, 
And that's really, really hard because when you think you're in something and somebody challenges you with that, like, you know, if somebody can speak into your life, you know, where am I really at? Well, I'm already there. It's very hard to shift somebody from that position because pride will come up and say, well, I'm there, I'm, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm living it, I'm this, this, I'm this. But actually it's just a false form of religion that you've created and God is trying to dismantle that. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to actually dismantle is when you think you're in something and you're not. But are you prepared to humble yourself and really ask, allow God to challenge you on everything in your heart? It's a big challenge, but it is life-changing if you come under it and you come into it. And the love of God is just so beautiful because he's, his desire is to see us come into that life. And he knows what is life and what isn't life. <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> he knows. And so it's that whole thing of his love and his patience toward us is always toward us to bring us into something. And uh, we've just got to be able to allow him to speak into our hearts, allow us to change us. And, you know, life now is an apprenticeship for what God has in the future, eh? You know, and there's this powerful passage with the centurion where the centurion recognizes Jesus' authority and is able to come under Jesus' authority. And Jesus says to him, man, you know, you're a man of great faith. You'll sit down in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know? And so we've been given this opportunity now while we still breathe to, to learn what it looks like to be in authority, to come under authority, because how, how can we be expected to sit with Christ on his throne, which is a position of authority, and judge angels, which is a position of authority in the future kingdom, if we despise authority now and reject coming under and reject taking a level of healthy responsibility when we're in authority do you see what I'm saying? It's like this, this what we're talking about is not just a, a pass away kind of a thing. This is, like, this is like bread and butter of what God is looking to do in us as his people, preparing us for the future eternal kingdom in the thousand year reign that we are called to participate in, eh? You know? And so there's a lot that rests on, on these kind of, on these, you know, these things. They're not just nice topics to talk about on a Sunday night, you know? So. Everything's determined by the value you give it. Okay, so if you see a coming under authority as a massive burden and a cost, it's because you don't know the value. Okay, it's like everything. If everything's hard, it's because you actually don't know the value. You know, which means you're still living because you're still trying to get it. It's always hard. It's always hard. It's a sacrifice following Jesus. No, it's not. It's actually an insult to Christ. Because if I told my wife I loved her and spending time with her was really hard, such a drag, man. I've got to motivate spending five minutes with my wife. But I really love her. It's an insult, isn't it? It's an insult to my love. So to keep talking about cost in your relationship and sacrifice with Christ is an insult to him. But he loves you, even though you're living like that. But what it is is you don't know the value of Christ in your life. So to... If you find you, you don't know the value of authority if you're not under it. See, once you know the value, you place yourself because it's life-giving. 
Like it's not death, it's life. It's the opposite in God, isn't it? And this is our challenge, see? It's like, yeah, I'm still, my mind is still my mind. I don't have his mind on authority. I don't have his mind on maybe a lot of things. Good, that's okay. Get on the table and let me go to work. Should we ask questions? Yeah. Because it's such a big topic, authority. <laughs> Any any questions or even comments? Any comments? I think Chris, um, as you were speaking about when you think you're somewhere you're not. You know, that's, you're right, and you only know how powerful what you said is when you really, <laughs> when that really hits you. And, you know, you could have been a Christian a really long time, and probably the longer you've been a Christian, the harder it is to reach that point where, where you thought you were is not where you are. But it's also an incredible place of freedom <laughs> because you can let it go and you can really be honest and allow him to go to work. I just, I just wanted to acknowledge that I really, yeah, that is, that is so right. And, and then I think, why, why do I hold on so tight? <laughs> what, what was I trying to prove? <laughs> you know, and, and it becomes really clear that actually I've got nothing to prove and everything to gain by um, acknowledging that. So, yeah, amen to what you said. Yeah, and, and that's the whole thing is that I was one of those people. I confess that I was one of those people. I thought I was somewhere that I wasn't. And suddenly, and I'd been a Christian a long, long time, and you get into the, the routines of how everything is done and everything like that, it's all by rote. And yet, it was missing something far greater. And God had to challenge me to show me and reveal to me, actually, you're not anywhere near what I've called you to be. So it was a real humbling thing. But as you said, there is so much freedom in it, because suddenly when you lay it down, you're not having to try and prove yourself you're not having to try and strive over something that you had to put on all these ears and pretenses and, and all these things to, to have this outward external thing. It's now, you can see why Paul said, I now count it as rubbish. And I look back at a lot of my Christian stuff and my walk and I think, actually, it's just rubbish. Why do I want to hold on to it? Because now I'm coming into so much freedom that I never had before, but I had to let go of a lot of stuff. And I'm sure there's more stuff in my life that God wants to challenge. But the more you let go of it, the more freedom you come into. I want to ask you a question, because I hear this a lot. I've been a Christian a long time. What does that mean? Well, when you think about it in the, in the sense of, you know, when you, you give your life to Christ and you start going to church, and then you might serve in the church, you get uh, into certain roles, you might climb a ladder, you might uh, get recognised for something, you might do this, and you go through the motions of everything like that, and you think, and you go to the seminars, and you learn five ways to do this, and you learn that like that, and so you think that's the Christianity, right. and it's just an external out expression, but it's not what's happening inside. So you're not in a lot, is that what we're saying? A lot, if you do that. So that's not really Christianity, is it? 
No, that's churchianity. Whatever you want to call that, you know, because that's not Christianity. Christianity is Christ-likeness. And that's not, that doesn't mean you're becoming Christ-like. That's just doing stuff. And this is the challenge. It's like, it, it's irrelevant whether you've been brought up with the Bible. It's irrelevant if you've been born in a Christian home. It's all irrelevant if you have no revelation. So no revelation, you're not being brought up as a Christ-like follower. You're caught up in organized religion at best. Okay, Going through forms of godliness, doing stuff, but you're not becoming Christ-like. And this is what we have to realize, isn't it? And this is what I realize. And this is the, the tension I walk in having children who have a father who is a senior leader of a church but can't give them revelation. And I don't want them being brought up in what we call Christianity, which is churchianity. And so I have to have real conversations. But I know that reality. You know, that's the challenge. It's, I know the difference between churchianity and being raised in Christ. You know, ticking all the boxes, reading all the stories, but not knowing the person. Being a Christian, but actually not knowing God. Yeah. You know, being justified, but having no idea about anything, really. Yeah. And it's always about the latest pursuit. What's the latest craze? What's the latest thing? Because, well, we tried that one, but it didn't really work. But now this is the latest craze, so we'll go after that. And you see all the churches going, zhoom, like this. Well, it didn't really satisfy. So what's the next thing? What's the next best thing? And it's all external, and, and you go chasing after this, and you're chasing after that. But there's no life in it. And there's, that relationship is non-existent, or very little. Because yeah. we have to know what true maturity is, don't we? Yeah. You know, once again, people say, I've been a Christian 30 years. Yeah. And I go, and I'm a mature Christian. I go, well, what does that actually mean? Like, what's the definition of a mature Christian? Someone that made a decision 30 years ago but hasn't changed. Is that what you call a mature Christian? Someone that made a decision? And no, no. You could, you could actually be 30 years of nothing. So you've got to know what actually a mature Christian is. Like what, what can a mature Christian do that a baby can't do? Well, put it into the context of the physical. What can an adult do that a child can't do? And you'll have some sort of idea of what it is to be a mature follower of Christ. Well, it obviously starts at loving with your entire life. God and people like God did. Not just turning up and going through motions and doing stuff and giving money and even preaching any of that stuff. It's not maturity, you know. It's actually love and having the fruit and the substance of Christ in you that just comes out of you. So you're placing yourself under the reality, the being attitudes are being formed in you. You are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You're seeing the Lord. You're poor in spirit. You're being persecuted for righteousness by the body of Christ and those outside because they don't understand who you are. You know, you're actually being coming one with Christ. And so this becomes your living reality, not just a book you read about with stories. It's like this is your living. You're one with Christ. Christ is one with you. But if we don't even know what we're measuring ourselves by, eh, we just create this false truth. And then you die. And it was the love that broke me, his love that actually broke me. And, and I remember being so frustrated because I could see Sandra had changed so powerfully. And suddenly we had this reality of she was able to live and demonstrate something that I couldn't. And that made me feel really blah. You know what I mean? I could talk it, but I couldn't live it. And so there was friction in our house in some ways because when you have that happening, 
you want to you want to hold on to an old position and and it's it's a, it's a real it's a pride thing you want to hold on to something because after all you know i've had this and we've done it for so many years this way and now you're you're changing something and i can see it's working and yet my version's not and yet i want to hold on to something that's not you know and god had to humble me and and but it was his love and his acceptance and his patience praise god for his patience <laughs> that changed me can i ask you why that threatened you it's funny because it's it's when you've got an external exterior you've got to keep up appearances you've got to act a certain way you've got to do this and you've got to do that suddenly but when you're under pressure what's really in here comes out yeah. like that can i use this as an example yeah we talked about being four yeah so if the person i love is coming into a greater dimension of christ why aren't i for that why aren't i championing that on rather than feeling stink or threatened like why aren't i celebrating the fact that the person i'm with or the church i'm with people are growing in christ because it's showing you what's in here it's like you're selfish still and afraid and scared because you're thinking they're leaving you. Well, then die and get on board with it. You know? But that's what this thing does. Like, this is what the God herself does. It like, it's like I say to people, it's like, man, do you want Jonah Lomu in your team or do you want him running at you? You know? Now, he might be in your position. Well, does he threaten you in your position? You might not be getting game time, but do you want him in your team or do you want to be in the opposite? So why can't I champion someone else on because I'm in a team rather than it be about me because I'm all individualistic and I know I don't have a spot on the wing? See, this is what it does, eh? It really does. Because, and so if we can recognise this stuff, we can repent of it rather than actually build a whole life upon it and say, puff out the chest and then try to actually control someone else, create an anchor for them, and they're trying to fly. And who are you getting in the way of? God. It's, it's beautiful, eh? You know, because when, when you can see through that perspective, someone else's growth is the best thing that could have ever happened to you, eh? You know? Because all of a sudden now there's a, there's a greater asset in the team and it gives you the greatest possible opportunity of entering into the fullness of him because now someone else is playing their role, which is actually for you, not against you. Eh? you know, it's an entirely different mentality. You know? Did you have... um, I'm just thinking about this whole... Um, um, not issue, but situation with your heart, right? So we sing songs like "Mold Me, Change Me," you know, um, and, and you know, my heart needs to be changed. And I've prayed that prayer for years, realizing that actually, just more in recent times, I actually can't change my heart at all. I need Him to change it, right? But I'm just sitting here, hearing you guys talk in hearing this discussion and just this whole aspect of, you know, when he says, I want to replace your stony heart with a heart of flesh, with a heart, with a soft heart, with a, a, a malleable heart. And I'm thinking about an operating table and I'm thinking about a transplant, transplant heart, a heart, a heart transplant. 
when a person has a heart transplant, they one heart is fully removed before the other heart can be placed. It would be absolute diabolical if the doctor decided to leave the old heart in and just place a new heart next to it. It doesn't happen like that in the natural. And I, I guess I have been like that in the spiritual. I, will, I just need you to modify a little bit because that's actually not that bad, actually. That bit's quite good. Um, if you can just change that bit. And I, I'm just sitting here. I'm just This realisation is just starting to hit me and it's really quite, um, whoa. I just, I just want a modified heart. And actually, that's the wrong flippin' prayer. I need a transplant which actually is quite painful and it's a major surgery. Um, yeah, so I'm, my prayer is going to be, can you transplant my heart? I want a different one altogether. My old one has to die. It has to be got rid of, completely out of my f- flesh, you know. That's, that's the thought. The challenge in all this is it's spiritual, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so you can't resurrect people that are living. So the paramedic doesn't come with his what do they call those things? Yeah, paddles, and go. Oh, Paul, you're alive. Heck, have a this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll, it can kill you. So you've got to be dead to be resurrected. And it's another, it's another way of saying what Danny's saying. But we actually don't think there's a problem. So there's only two ways you die. And one is more than the other. Okay? So the main way you die is you get sick and tired of your life. And you run and run and run and run and run. Do everything you can to find life in you. And then you have to run into a brick wall and you smash you on a brick wall. And that's why sometimes the people who have had crazy lifestyles that we think are testimonies, but they're not, they're just lifestyles, smash quicker because they try drugs, they try sex, they try everything trying to find life and can't. But that's not the testimony because you can do all that and still not have a testimony. Okay, but it sometimes can help in the process of quickening up the smashing process. Okay, so that's how most people actually come into this new life and die. The second thing, which is supposed to be the first thing, but it's not, it's the second, is you hear the word, and the word pierces and creates the smashing. Okay, but the problem is your heart's so hard you can't hear anything. See, so it's a catch 22, isn't it? It's like God says, here's the word, but I don't believe it, I don't receive it, it falls on dead ground, so nothing happens. And so it's that tension of all those two things. And so that's why, as well as it's saying that, it's like, Lord, help me hear the word that pierces my heart, that brings understanding so I can actually be pierced, like it says in Acts 2.38. They heard the word of the Lord, not man, the word of the Lord. It pierced, and they said, what do I need to do? You need to repent. Now, that just didn't, oh, yeah, I'm going to get baptized in water. It's like their piercing of the heart. The sword through the spirit went, 
spin and into a reality that you didn't even know existed. Because the problem is none of us know how evil we are until he shows you how evil you are. Peter did not think he was doing anything wrong. And Peter did not think he would deny Christ because he's completely unaware of his reality inside because it's all spiritual. And no one is. We're all blinded and dead. And so the challenge is, yes, we need a brand new heart. We need a brand new life. It's not a modified. Now, what we've done in the church is because we're all about the mind, we create through psychology and psychologically another gospel. Okay, And we've sabotaged our own walk because we've even tried to bring people into man-made gospel to make it all palatable, and we've taken all the power out. But we're the one that's stuck. Can't seem to live what I read. No, because there's only two positions. Dead and alive, not partial, sort of in the middle. No, 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 no. And so this is this whole thing. The gospel, and this is what we're going to get to, does all the work, which means you have to go, I may have only said yes to the description of the gospel because I'm still living. I've been brought up with the message but not the messenger. So I know all the message. I can quote you every Bible story in the book and I can quote it back to front and sing you the songs back to front and in my sleep. But I have no idea who the messenger is and I have no idea how to live this life out. Now that either pisses you off or actually it's time to get free of. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, what do you know? It's like, where's your certificate? How many letters have you got behind your name? like, oh my goodness, he's called JC, there you go, <laughs> that in your pipe. And so there's this reality, you know, that we need the messenger, but you have to die. And then it becomes this brand new life. Maturity can only start after death, okay? We have to hear this. Maturity in Christ can only start, I'm talking about inner spiritual maturity, Abiding in the vine after death. Because maturity is not casting out demons. Maturity is not preaching. Maturity is nothing external. Can you hear what I'm trying to say? Okay, you can do all that and be alive and well. That is clearly written for us as a pattern. Okay? You can do signs and wonders and the God of self is still alive and well in your life. But what you can't do is deny you. Okay? We're all Peters if that's the case, and we have not yet gone through our own crucifixion. Now God's going to lead you there, because he led Peter there. But Peter didn't know he was going there, guys. Like He's got no idea he's going to his death. And if you look, straight after he says, you're going to deny me, because he tells them, because he knows, you're going to deny me. He says, no, I'm not. Okay? He then takes him into the garden. And what does he ask him to do? Or before that, he says, would you pray with me for one hour? Can't even pray for five minutes. But do you think Christ-like people pray? And for more than one hour? Maybe two hours and three hours and 24-7? Because you pray without ceasing? But see, you can't unless you've gone through your crucifixion. You're asleep when he calls you to pray. And then you're awake chopping off ears, but he doesn't ask you to do that. See, you're running around doing all the ministry work, but he's going, what are you doing? I asked you to pray, and you're busy doing ministry. It's not what I asked you to do. 
See, this is where it goes. If you have eyes to see, he'll start showing you this reality. Because you're not chopping off ears, but you know what you're doing? You're working really hard for Jesus. And he's going, what are you doing? You've got no life. I'm not asking you to do that right now. It may be later, but it's not right now. Because you need to get crucified. Because I want to do this full work in you. But he can't resurrect people that are living. They've got to die. And that's what I love about the dry bone song. Is that they were dead. Dry bones hear the word of the Lord. Living people don't hear the word of the Lord. It's dry bones that do. Because they know they need to be resurrected. Living people go, I'm all good. Otherwise, you know, like what is it that's becoming mature? If you're growing in maturity but you haven't died, right? It's your old life, you know? And you can have a much more refined old life but still at your very core is, is you, hey, you know. So. And that's where all the abuse is in the body, yeah? That's where all the abuse is because you've got leaders who are actually slaves. You've got leaders who aren't sons, they're slaves, they're orphans leading people. And so they treat people like assets. And so that's part of the issue. That's why there's been so much hurt in the body of Christ and so much division because leadership doesn't love Leadership treats people like an asset. You're all about getting this function done that's in my heart. And if you can't perform anymore, see ya, I go get another one. And the cycle continues. Whatever happened to that person? Oh, I don't know. Who cares? But, you know, we're doing really good jobs and we're doing this and we're doing this. And yet it says love one another. Like that's not loving one another, is it? You know? And so this is the challenge. And this is why... You know, there's just so much to get revelation on. Like, I feel like, like, you know, it's like God sins, man doesn't sin. You know, it's like it's a God sent one, not a man sent one. But um, Ruan had a question. Mm. Um, I think um, when, you, when you spoke about the pastor of the church and so forth, and very similar to what you said now, it's like I, I felt like. It being uh, um, like a pyramid scheme, you know. <laughs> the, the body of Christ is like a, a pyramid scheme, and, and God being on top. And and as we grow and we, and, and we get better and better, and better, we get higher to the top. But when it gets to the top, it, re it gets really tight, you know, and it gets difficult, and you get a lot of challenges. But the actual being in Christ is like an inverted triangle. Yep. Where the people are. The people are the, that's getting to the top is actually at the bottom and pushing the rest of us up to get to the top, isn't it? Yeah, sweet. That's my wisdom. Oh, and, and, and it was... It was it's very wise. It was, it was really poetic to hear you talk about rugby as you can't explain it the same in soccer. <laughs> It's the most profound thing you've ever heard out of the one's mouth, eh? <laughs> you just ruined that other bit before, bro. I was like, you had me at that, and I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 um, the pyramid thing really is a worldly model. And we've just planted the, the worldly model onto the church model. And that's not how God has designed it. I mean, Christ is the foundation. And then you get the... Uh, the fivefold, and then you get the others, and then the, they're always lifting people up and bringing them to the best of their maturity and bringing them into something 
rather than keeping them squashed down and not able to grow. It's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're about to take off, mate. Are you? <laughs> All right, just check your watch. All right, we've got another two hours. Let's go. <laughs> well, I just feel that's the problem, eh? You know, it's like, so God gives five gifts. So, so what Ruan said is absolutely right. Okay? And another way of looking at it is this. It's a flatline model. So there's not this top model. It's a flatline model, you know. And so there's God. Then you've got an apostolic, prophetic, pastor, teacher, evangelistic, grace, gifting, which is God-given. And it's a team. And it's a flat. It's not like, you know, the apostles here, the prophets there, and so on, even though it says the apostle first, prophet second, teacher third. So there's a functional ranking in the kingdom. It doesn't make those people better than one another, but it's function. Because why? God's into building his people. Yeah. And so you have to know the ranking order even though it's a flatline model. Now, all those aspects of gifts are Christ. So Christ gives a part of himself and dishes them out because he's never going to give the entirety to one person because we're not Christ. Now, we all have the Holy Spirit. Okay, So the Holy Spirit is the builder of the house, and with the empowerment of the grace on those giftings, he works with the apostolic, prophetic, pastor, teacher, evangelist to create a fivefold people, okay, of every characteristic of those giftings. He then gives other ministry gifts, serving gifts to build the house gifts of faith, gifts of prophecy, gifts of uh, giving and hospitality and all those things. But it's all a flat line model that's lifting. Oh, so it's not this man of God thing, you know, that's the man of God. See, that's where all the pressure comes. Oh, the man of God. Well, I need the man of God to pray. No, this is a priestly ministry. We were all priests that the fivefold are building and equipping to be priests who can minister to God and minister to one another. It's a completely different model to what you predominantly see on the earth today, which is led by one gift. And the one gift builds other people around them to fulfill what you're talking about, the pyramid scheme. And so the other gifts lay dormant, you know, and then what do we do? We then shoot ourselves all around the planet, which keeps all the other gifts dormant, and they're watching one gift minister. No, no, this is not supposed to be a spectatorship. This is a partnership with the Holy Spirit in which every person who has the Spirit and has a gift is going to minister to Christ and one another. So when everybody comes, it's about playing the game. Like we're on the field. And that's why we are to be tired after our time together because we're all ministering to one another. Nobody's sitting on the seat going, well, that's all good, watching everyone else minister. But that's what we've created in the institution. Three or four people doing all the work while the 99% sit there and watch. Okay, that's the institutional model. That's the pyramid model that has the power with a few people. It's Catholicism, just another version. It's not kingdom. But we all buy into it because we think that's what it is because we don't know any different. But when the Holy Spirit starts to teach you directly 
out of his living word, you start to see this pattern that's always been there. And it frees us from us, and everybody is actively positioned, and it works. And no one's carrying more weight than the other. You don't get the 80-20 split, because everyone has a role to play. But then you come back to, but have you laid down your life? Have you lost your life? And are you living for others? Or is the God of self still operating within you? See, that's where he'll take you right back to. So even when he shows you the reality, you can never enter into that reality if you're still the God of self. You'll try to manufacture or manipulate the new to your own version again, which is just an old wineskin dressed up as new. And we are great at doing that. We dress up these new wineskins, but they're just old wineskins that look new, but they're not. They don't produce any life because the core is not still dealt with, which is why he wants to turn over your heart, but he turns over your heart to bring you life. And then you're able to live a Christ-like life, which is eternal. And everyone benefits. Powerful, eh? Look at that, eh? Could be a teacher. Great transition back to the scripture for the end of the night. Just, there we go. <laughs> cool. Oh, awesome night. Do you want to pray for us, Chris, and then we'll, we'll finish up? Father, we just thank you for this time together, and we thank you, Lord, for, Lord, what you're revealing to us. And I pray that, Lord God, that our hearts would become more and more into alignment with what you are doing. And I pray, Lord God, for such humbleness within our hearts to actually allow your spirit to speak into our hearts, to allow others, when they download the word from heaven, when they speak into your lives, that we would allow it to penetrate and allow us to go through that transformation period Father, we thank you that you love each of us so, so much, that you have so much for us, that you are for us and not against us, and that you want to bring us through these things and come to the end of ourselves so that we would die to ourselves to come into the life, this life and the freedom that you have on offer for us. So I pray, Father, that, Lord, you'd encourage every heart here to actually really get on their knees before you and really to seek you and to, to, to really commune with you. Father, we thank you that last these, these Sundays are not just a, these are not an event. This is something that you are building within us, a lifestyle, a change. And this is our opportunity to respond to the call that you, have, you are giving us. So Father, I pray that no one would shrink back and run the opposite way, or put up barriers and deflect it off. But Lord, we would be willing to surrender that and bring it down to allow your Holy Spirit to speak directly into our hearts. Father, we thank you that we are your children and we are your family. And Lord, we entrust our hearts and our lives into your care. In Jesus' name, amen.